Hello, and welcome back to How To Be Happy, a podcast where we explore all the ways that we can live a happier life. Each week, we're talking to happiness experts, celebrities, and ordinary people to see if they have the secret to getting more joy out of life. This week, we're talking about motivation. How do you get motivated and how do you keep yourself going instead of running out of steam? Later in the show, we're chatting with personal trainer and author of Not A Life Coach, James Smith. And I say this to people now that some people go, oh, James, I'm 30. Am I too old to do something I want or make a change in career? And I say to them, you could do nothing for the next five years and still be very successful. Who can really attack you or, or say you're doing something wrong if you just continue to do that till you're 40. If you're happy and you're working in, a, in an Irish pub in New York and you're paying your rent and you're living life, you know, for someone else to come along and say to you, oh, you should get a real job, like, no one should be able to do that. But first, producer Nina and I are going to talk about what works for us. Hello, Kate. How are you going? I'm good. You sound motivated. I am. I've had a lot of caffeine. I'm ready to go. Okay. Well, what keeps you motivated? What gets you up and going? Um, I have to be really excited about something to sort of go full steam ahead. I struggle more with the, the mundane, everyday things, which I'm sure everybody does. Like how to be motivated to unload the dishwasher. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> bad one. Or getting the clothes out of the washing machine. Oh, yeah. I just watched um, uh, the ABC had something on uh, the reef recently, the the Great Barrier Reef. Right. And they had a whole thing about how, you know, like if you leave your washing in the machine and you have to do it again, <gasps> you're killing the reef. So oh I was like, gosh. That's good motivation. Oh, I love Don't that. Don't kill the reef. I love that. That's so good. I'd love to have a whole list of those things that are helping me yeah, destroy it. all over the house. <laughs> that are saying, Kate, if you leave that light on for <laughs> two more minutes, you're destroying 17 reef fish. Well, that's a good point. That's a negative versus positive motivation. I think that does work for me a little bit. There's always that negative. Yeah, that negative, um, the prospect of something negative happening can help my motivation. Um, But I think for me, you know, I think I've discovered over time that you can't wait for motivation to hit. You know, I think sometimes people think motivation is going to come down from above. It's going to sort of, you know, coat you with a blessed sort of golden light. And you're going to think, oh, you know, I'm so excited now about cleaning my room or doing my essay or, you know, completing that work report. And I just think most of the time that doesn't happen. I yeah. think even things that you really want to achieve, like, you know, it might be a, a, a little goal or a project you're working on, you really want to do it. But if you're waiting for motivation to hit you when you could be watching episodes of The Crown, you're probably not going to get yeah. it. It's probably not going to happen. I think that motivation, I think, develops as a result of of action a lot of the time. So I think often you have to, when you really, really don't feel like it, just start doing what you're supposed to be doing and then you'll suddenly be halfway there. And what about those, like, um, the people who get out of bed at 5 a.m. and meditate? We've talked about this before. Oh, yeah. So Do that's you like, do any of that? That's like the 5 a.m. club and those people who have those great sort of setups in the morning where they, you know, they yeah. meditate and they journal and they exercise and they do it all within sort of an hour and it sets their day. I Look, I've gone through different stages. You know, I usually try to get up and exercise in the morning because it just 
helps me to, you know, it's the good good time to do it and then it's done. Um, I have tried meditating in the morning, but I tend to fall asleep. And also then it sort of becomes an either or with, with exercise. But the thing I actually most like to do in the morning is to have a little quiet space. Mm. If I can, if I were to exercise and then be able to come back and drink a cup of tea, you know, on the back step and either read something that, you know, is, is nice, usually not fiction, but, you know, read something that's a bit inspiring or something like that. Just having that quiet space, I think, helps me set the tone for the day, but I don't always get the time. Yeah, I had a friend who worked for um, like Google and Dropbox and all mm. those sorts of things as a coder, like super high up. Mm. She's doing amazing things around the world. And I um, messaged her when I started here to get some advice on managing people because I'd never managed people before. And she was like, great, so you just need your five-year plan. So just work out where you want to be in five years. Uh, and, you know, I, I got up every day at five and I meditate for an hour and, like, just it was – terrifying it's a bit it's a bit daunting yeah you know there's a there's a real sort of um sort of there's two sides of that sort of personal growth there's those people who are really like go 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 find your motivation find your discipline and then there's a sort of you know more relaxed you know find yourself you know who who really are you and I think that it can be a bit daunting those books because they have a real sort of um, you know a high end energy that if you're not feeling it it can almost make you feel a failure before you've even begun and I know a lot of successful people do those things they you know they make time to do those and they definitely are can be keys to living a successful and happy life I'm not sure you always have to do them that way I think you can find your own groove yeah your own routine that's my advice anyway James Smith has an army of devoted Instagram and Facebook followers. He has one of the world's fastest growing online audiences and they come to him for advice on motivation, health and fitness and all through a non-toxic and very honest lens. Welcome, James. Thank you very much for having me. It's nice to be doing one face-to-face. Yeah, it is, isn't it? We've done so many of these over Zoom. It's um, it's much better to have you in the flesh. For those who don't know, we've got James Smith in the podcast studio today. And James, I'm actually going to ask for his help in describing him because I think he started his um, career journey, certainly this incarnation, as a personal trainer. Uh, your last book was called... Not a diet book. Not a diet book. And then we've now got Not a Life Coach, two nuanced titles. Not a Life Coach. So how would you describe yourself? Are you still, do you still consider yourself a personal trainer or have you have you morphed into motivational guru? Well, that's exactly what I didn't want to do. That's the second nuanced title. Uh, very much still a personal trainer. And I found that being a personal trainer, your role is almost like course correction for people. It's not that people are doing completely the wrong things. You just need to kind of move their course towards more efficient, more effective. And in most cases, get them onto paths of doing things that they want to do. Because if someone's doing spinning and they hate spinning, I don't need to be you know, very intelligent to know that in two years' time, they're not going to be doing that. Mm. And what I came to realize was in personal training that you often come across a lot of people who are not really fulfilled or happy in life. And you can't just say to them, eat less, Mm. because that could be the happiest part of their day, which a lot of people push back on. But if you're in a job that you don't really enjoy and a relationship that you probably should have got out of a year ago, I'm not surprised you're in the fridge. So the second book is more like a precursor. It's almost like ensuring that the bottom level 
of the pyramid is strong enough to support the top. This is a bit like Star Wars when they went backwards. Yeah, almost, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's like saying to people, okay, if you're struggling to stick to a diet regime and an exercise regime, let's hit pause on that for a second and maybe, you know, understand why that is. And even if it meant for some people potentially going into a job I took a pay cut becoming a personal trainer. I was in the corporate world and I worked in IT sales and I hated it. Mm. And everyone around me was fine. I felt like I was suffocating. Mm. And I was like, why, why is no one else feeling like I do? And it would be 5.15 p.m. and I'd be itching in my seat. I'd be like, I just want to go home. I I've love got- that story that you used to ask people if <laughs> they wanted a cup of tea. Because <laughs> it was one of those places, right, where they, you know, 5.30 was the end time. You couldn't slack off early. So you'd say at 5.15, anyone want a cup of tea? Everyone would be like, no. And then you'd wander off and then just out the door. <laughs> and, and it got worse. You know, like a, a child pushing its boundaries for what they could get away with. There'd be one time, like, the sales director would walk down and I'd be eating a Solero, which is a type of ice cream we have in the UK. And he'd be like, I don't want to know where you've got that from. He's like, I don't want to know. And he'd just go into his office. Um, and, you know, it was almost as if I was creating trouble for myself. Mm. I got a, a black eye from rugby, like a pretty bad one. And I went into the office and everyone knew that I'd been playing rugby. And I bumped into one of the ladies from HR. I've been there about a year. And she was like, oh, what happened to your face? And I jokingly said, oh, I slept with my best mate's wife. Oh. As a joke. I found it funny. She laughed. About an hour later, my manager comes over and she's like, James, can we have a word for a second? Oh, my God. And she's like, did that really happen? I was like, no, it was a joke. And she's like, the whole HR department are on my case, all of this. And, you know, I obviously didn't belong there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sounds like a clash of cultures. Yeah, and the, but the funny thing is, the, the person who would get the least from my book is probably my dad. Loved the corporate world. Mm. Loves retirement. Mm. Worked in the same job for 50 years. Mm. Um, so I think I was trying to follow in his footsteps. But then... Well, a lot of people do that, don't they? And you kind of talk about that in the book. You talk about how people are sort of think they should be. That You actually spend a bit of time talking about that. Sometimes it's about money, but it's also about career. So you're not just talking about personal training in the book. You're talking about... In fact, very little of it's about the physical in this book. It seems to be you're telling, saying that a lot of people often end up in places they think they should be. And they keep going at it because they think this is what they should do. And they've put in, what do you call it? What's that when you've put in the sort of the effort already? Oh, the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, say that again. The sunk cost fallacy is when people remain invested in something based off previous efforts and investments. Mm. So, for instance, whether it's stocks, whether it's, you know, maybe buying a property that hasn't moved in five years Mm. as far as value, Uh, relationships where... I'm sure you've been in conversations with your friends. You're like, why are you with that guy? Oh, we've been together 10 years. What is it? Is it fear of change or is it fear of admitting that they were wrong and, 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 and dealing with that? Or is it fear of, of, of what's to come? Why do you think people stay hooked into something even when it's not working? I think it's because they feel like time's wasted otherwise. Mm. So then they go, oh, well, what was the point if I leave? where we, we kind of lose the ability to think rationally because of that and often then become irrational. Mm. And it's probably something that you see in like the animal kingdom as well. Like I think that it's just a tendency to almost think that the effort is more warranted should you stick with it. Mm. And it's something that really helps me kind of still to this day try and make or reverse decisions where I'm not oh am I doing this because of this or am I doing this because I've already worked so hard at it but unfortunately it is very important that people do decide 
when they walk away from something. Well, we live in a society that sort of buys into that too, doesn't it? Because there's such sort of, you know, entrenched images about what success is so that people kind of get locked into that too, don't they? That this is a path, you know, they take the law. Do you have MasterChef? In, yeah, yeah. I always laugh about the fact that there's just so many lawyers on MasterChef, all these people who trained in law and went, I'm so unhappy, I just want to cook, you know? it's. It, but, but there are very specific ideas about what success is in our society. Usually means money, usually means power. But you talk a lot about, in your book, about discovering what really success is to you? I think that uh, in the onset, in the corporate world, I always was working towards, you know, six-figure salary Mm. because so much had rested on my kind of, my thoughts that if you get that, you can afford a mortgage. If you get that, you can bring up a family. Mm. If you get that, you get a car or whatever it was. And it was only when I decided that I was going to exit the corporate world and become a PT where I was like, a metric for success could be wearing shorts to work every day. I was like, that'd be amazing. And then if I uh, do three hours of PT a day at 30 pounds an hour, I worked out that would cover all of my costs of living. Mm. And then I was like, the most important one was that I'll enjoy my job. Mm. And everyone said to me, they're like, don't do it. Uh, All of my best friends said there's uh, no money in being a PT. Everyone's doing it. But I thought if I can enjoy this and pay the bills I have and wear shorts every day, that's winning and I even said to my friends even if I don't make stupid amounts of money I could spend the next five ten years being happy at work which is what most people might not ever get and my dad did 50 years happy at work and I think that seeing he never once complained about going to work and I do think that's like one of the do you think he enjoyed it or was that sort of British yeah, you know stiff upper lip sort of thing no no he, no, he, he enjoyed it stoic. He, he would uh, he'd go for beers and drinks with people from his work and um outside of kind of our family that was his his other realm of what he enjoyed he was obviously very passionate about it and uh yeah so for me when I started out as a personal trainer I was like if I can enjoy this I'll be fine and I said to myself I'll do it for a year and if I don't make it to that level in a year I'll just go back to recruitment I'll go back to IT sales I'll go back to putting on a suit and I was thinking at 24 you know what's what's a year and I say this to people now that some people go oh James, I'm 30. Am I too old to do something I want or make a change in career? And I say to them, you could do nothing for the next five years and still be very successful. Mm. You know, for people, you know, do nothing for the next 10 years and you'll still be able to walk into any job you want and be able to afford the costs of life. Mm. And I don't think many people take that into account enough that if they can do something they enjoy and afford to maintain their level of lifestyle, why wouldn't they do it? Well, the irony is that you've actually become very successful, isn't it? By deciding to just give something a shot and earn enough money just to pay your bills and to, to, to keep yourself afloat, you've actually become successful. How many Instagram followers do you have? About 680,000. Okay, that's probably pretty successful by Instagram definitions. And you've got two books? Two books. Um, Facebook is about 450,000. But to me, it, it literally is just a number. It sounds very strange to say this. It's, it's actually, in my mind, very arbitrary. Mm. And it's a number that's changed, but nothing else has as far as what I do. And imagine I enjoyed doing the personal training sessions and there would be questions that would arise. And I'd think to myself, and I'd even say to my clients at the time, 
I'm going to write that down on my phone in the notes section so that when I had a gap between clients, I could make a post on it, whether it's a blog, video, whatever it is. So every day, I would just need one question from my clients that I could then turn into content. And I would be face-to-face -face with people for five hours. And the only way I could do five hours back-to-back uh, and people forget the personal training is one-to-one -one meetings, mm. every single one, mm. and you get paid individually. So you can imagine being at work and it's like, right, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, 12 to one, have a bit of lunch. And um, I would still then, in an hour break, be excited to go to the local cafe to write this blog mm. because it all interested me. And then I thought to myself, oh, if I write this blog really well, I could then have someone else that wants to come do personal training off the back of the blog. Mm. And it became like a bit of a game to me where I was like, okay, I'm going to post something on socials every day. I'm going to attend to my clients every day. I'm going to ask them questions and make notes of this. And the whole thing just got really carried away. And to this day, I'm still doing the exact same thing. Uh, just the numbers that surround the posts and the interactions change. Do you think there's a direct relationship between the fact that you are actually enjoying what you do, that you're not doing it because you're chasing success and the fact that you are successful? Yeah. And I think that it boils down to um, something that I spoke about in the book was uh, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, where some people uh, would do something extrinsic, which is to avoid something bad happening or for a reward. And a lot of the time when people look at fat loss, they extrinsically motivate themselves by saying, if I don't exercise, I'll have a heart attack. If I don't exercise, I'll get type 2 diabetes. Uh, if I exercise, you know, I'll lose weight. And all these things are almost gratification or avoiding something bad happening. Mm -hmm. This isn't the way to motivate people long term. And even people that do stuff for money are sometimes extrinsically motivating themselves. And uh, I've always had a pop at recruitment for this. If you ever ask someone if they enjoy their job in recruitment, they'll just tell you how much they get paid. Mm -hmm. And although they earn good money, they've often got, uh, you know, there will be exceptions to the rule, but it's, it's, and I've done it, it's soul-sucking and it runs you into the ground. Sorry to all the recruiters yeah, out there. Yeah, sorry to all the recruiters. <laughs> I'm sure some of you enjoy your job. Some, but it, yeah, and some people do, but... I've, it's very difficult for me out of all the personal anecdotes, friends um, that have done it, for anyone to actually really be passionate about it because it is hitting the phones. It is pushing a lot mm. of, uh, you know, c competing with other people. For it's the a same sales role. job, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of loyalty in it for a lot of people. And unfortunately, at the low end, people are just phone bashing on behalf of people that make 10, 15 times as much as them. And with that, as soon as I ask them about their job satisfaction, as soon as they just tell me how much they earn, I know they're extrinsically motivated. Mm -hmm. And it's why recruitment has got such a high churn rate, mm -hmm. where people such as myself did it for one year and got out. Mm -hmm. And before, I remember my friend saying to me, you won't enjoy it, but you get paid really well. So what's internal motivation look like? How does that look? If, if, if you're saying that, you know, in the example of losing weight, you know, that external is saying, well, I, I want to lose weight because I don't want to have a heart attack, that's external. What's an internal motivator? If someone finds it personally rewarding, which makes it incredibly subjective because some people will collect stamps and find that personally rewarding. Mm -hmm. And no, we can't take that away from a stamp collector. We can't say that's stupid, you know, uh, even if someone's doing Pokemon cards or whatever ridiculous amount of money they go for now. So when people, and you see this again across the board of exercise selection for fat loss, some people just love walking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they take personal satisfaction out of walking around Sydney with a podcast before work 
or whether it's cycling to watch cyclists as well. Cyclists are in a different world to us. They love it because it might be meditative. It might be something that on a personal level just makes them feel good. So when people do something for personal satisfaction, they feel good from it. They don't need to be motivated because they get fun from it. Similarly to, uh, you know, partaking in a martial art. A lot of people that don't do martial arts may look at them and go, why on earth would you fight someone as a sport? But to them, it's just rewarding. They, they're they not doing it. And a lot of people that are in these very, you know, crazy jobs, they do it just because they enjoy it. It's a bonus that they get paid for it. And I think that when you see even football players, rugby players, sports stars at the highest level, the money is a luxury that comes with them. Doing what they, for, yeah, doing what they enjoy. And I think that if you take anyone off of this kind of blueprint to what we collectively know as success and put them on a channel with something that they enjoy on a personal level, it's almost like the um, tortoise and the hare. Over time, you might have a slower start, but you end up maybe potentially over time getting further ahead than other people. And for me, that's exactly what happened. I was personal training, I was in the gym, and it took me years um, it took me about three or four years of posting every day before I got one client online. Mm-hmm. And for the three years where I was posting, getting nothing from it, you could have come along at the two or three year mark and gone, that's not working. Mm-hmm. But my trajectory was more important than where I currently was. And You were doing it for another reason. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And, you know, going so it to didn't the matter that you weren't seeing those external signs of what people might consider success. I could have come along and said, this isn't working. Why are you doing this? And you would say, because I just enjoy it and I'm getting better at it. And you I obviously got some sort of sense of achievement from getting better at doing it. My grandma got better because I was writing more, uh, which put me in good stead for uh, writing the book because I'd actually been doing creative writing every day uh, for years without really knowing about it. And it was really almost therapeutic for me to get my thoughts out and then over time they would become a little bit more um before it was like difference between potato and sweet potato but then over time it would get like why i hate this and when i went into you know why i hate spin classes you're cycling with the brakes on you've got rubbish classes oh we have something in common (laughs) and then when i got to do those it was it was like journaling almost yeah and i would put it out there and people would then comment, which is almost like an external gratification. They go, I completely agree. And I'd be like, yes, people are agreeing with my journaling. And over time, that's really what enabled me to keep it up for years. So you, your book is about, there is, there, you do talk about achieving goals and there's definitely that element to it. But I reckon if I had to sum it up, I would say that your book, um, that one of the themes, the main themes is that attitude is everything. Is that... Is that something you feel? Because that sort of seems to shine through in it, that you can, um, that your attitude is essentially going to create the way you approach anything you do. Yeah, and for now I love doing like little seminars for other personal trainers to say, because I, I see them online and I see them making almost mistakes, but not really mistakes. They, they don't really understand what they're doing. And what I love to make clear to them is that if they compare their post to my post now, they, they've missed out the five years that's between us and they'll feel very deflated and it will affect their attitude and they'll stop doing it. They go, I did what James said, I posted for 10 days straight, I've got no clients, I'm not doing it. Yeah. But I'd, I'd like to rewire their attitudes to say, you need to select your own wins here because if you think you're gonna get 10,000 likes on a post, you're not gonna win like that. That's just not what's gonna happen. But 
I have to rewire them and say, look, guys, you, you're going to need to put this post out for years on end because over the next year, you're going to influence 100 people. Then the next year, they're all going to tell 10 people about you. And if you turn up every day, you can get this exponential growth, which can sometimes take years to get. And even if you look at the COVID-19 pandemic in the early stages people warned them of the rate of exponential growth that would occur but people struggled to understand how quick uh, things can accelerate and even if one person tells three and then three people tell three more i think mm. that's an r rate of three i don't know i'm not a scientist over time you're left with obviously up to six hundred eighty thousand people that follow you but you have to keep spreading <laughs> almost in that early stage to get that growth and if i can get that attitude into them that can keep someone doing something, a task, for years on end before they get gratification. If I don't instill that attitude into them, they will give up very soon. Did you always have like a good attitude? You're pretty positive. Um, did Is that something you, you, you had? I mean, your dad, you talk about he loved his job, but is that something that came from your, from your parents? Did they, you know, instill that sort of sense of looking at the world through sort of a positive lens? Yeah, I think so. And I think as I get older, it's something that I am very grateful for. But what do I do you have to work at it? Uh, not really, um, because I think that it's almost the lens we look at through the world. But the most important thing, like for me, is I don't want someone to think, "Oh, well, my parents didn't give me a positive outlook on life, therefore I can't have that lens." Because we can create it, and I love um, bringing anxiety up. And I did a post on this last night that. For instance, if someone was like, oh, you know, it's okay for you because your parents instilled a good mindset. Anxiety in our brain is only negative. It's only negatively charged. It's like yin without yang. And everything that our anxious brain tells us is, you know, this date's going to be horrible. Uh, I'm going to flunk this if I go for it. If I go for a job promotion, I'm going to get laughed at and sacked. And we need to counter that all the time with, this could be the best date I ever go on. This could be the best job promotion ever. They might give me the one above the one I was going for. But the same goes with all of our outlooks on life. And I know that, again, with COVID, everyone's like, this is going to be the worst year ever. Mm. And I can't help but feel there are a lot of people that actually deep down under the surface have had a really good year. Mm. And although so many things have been stripped away from them, they're almost scared to speak out that they really enjoyed being at home, not having to go into the office mm. every day. And Oh, I, I love that. I love that stripped down period when we're all at home. And I know how difficult it is. It is hard to say because I imagine people in Melbourne, you know, feel very differently. They had a really hard time. But um, for those of us who had a shorter period at home, I felt the same. It was like, you know, that whole thing they talk about having too much choice in modern life, you know, the tuna aisle. What kind of tuna shall I pick? I've not heard that, but I like that. <laughs> but that's what, it's, that's what it's like. So much choice. And I think to have life whittled down to, I can go for a walk. I can go for a walk with or without the dog. And then I'm going to make dinner. Like, it's quite refreshing for people. I think that this, the life is always going to be very much out of our control we're going to be on the other end. We need to decide almost what lens we look at life through. Mm. And that is a choice. Can you tell me, like, I, and I, I, I've I, just skimmed over this bit, but I thought I'd ask you about it instead. So you talk about three Newton's laws. Do you think you can wrap them up really quickly, tell people what they are? God, let me think. So we've got uh, every action has an opposite reaction. Yeah. This one's probably my favourite because energy is not lost is transformed so what I loved is that you translated that into a way you could make it work in normal life can you think of those examples now every action has an opposite reaction mm -hmm. so even if someone's projecting negativity onto us mm -hmm. 
we think we can ignore it, but I don't think that negative energy is just ignored. I think we take it on and carry it more than we expect. So that's why we need to get them out of our lives. Okay. And it sounds really harsh. It sounds really cutthroat. Mm -hmm. But like you can't have that energy coming towards you because even though you feel like you're deflecting it, I feel that people carry it. Mm -hmm. um, then we have, if an item is at absolute rest, yeah. I think it's if, the, if it's not, you know, if it's not impacted by another force, then it will remain at rest. And you had a great example there, which is just to ask that person for their phone number or pitch your idea because that item will remain at rest. It will remain the same, yeah. But if you expend your energy, there's a chance that you'll 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 move it, I think. Yeah, we are probably, I hope, again, no <laughs> physicists listening because they're going, oh, my God, they're mangling the world of yeah, physics. I think they're definitely one about yeah, the item at rest. And you, if you don't act upon it, it will stay the same. Mm. And that, that number is not going to find its way into your phone if you don't act upon that. Mm. And the other one I can't remember off the top okay. of my head. Well, put that in the put that in the notes. It's interesting. What, what do you think? You said that you think you probably naturally got a, a, a good attitude or a positive attitude. You don't really have to wake up every morning and psych yourself into it. But other people do. There's definitely different sort of shades. And and while I would agree with you that anyone can change their mindset, it can be a work for some people. What are your top tips for people to change their mindset? And you must have clients who you have to work a bit harder with or they need to work a bit harder to to get into that right frame? I think it sounds oversimplistic, but within our life, we have family, we have friends, we have professional, and then we probably have like a hobby or training. We have these like almost four quadrants within our life. And these four things always exist. And I, I think that some people, they, they kind of just live their life in a daily existence and they don't question any of these four things or whether or not they're truly serving them. And, you know, uh, professional life, for instance, we're, we're so ingrained into having a proper job. Mm. And I did um, an interview with uh, an Irish newspaper and the girl was saying that she used to work in a bar in New York and she said it was the best time of her life. Mm -hmm. She goes, in my early 20s, I worked in this bar. It was amazing. And I said, well, why'd you stop? She goes, my parents told me to come home and get a proper job. Mm. And I said, you did come home and get a proper job and you're here telling me about how much you used to love your last one. Mm. And I was like, you may have made your parents happy, but you haven't made yourself happy. And it, in this discussion we had off air, I was like, in a bid to make someone else happy and doing the status, no, no inverted commas, the status quo, you've worsened your quality of life. And we wouldn't be reminiscing about how amazing that, that bar work was. And I said to her, who can really attack you or, or say you're doing something wrong if you were to continue to do that till you're 40? If you're happy and you're working in a in an Irish pub in New York and you're paying your rent and you're living life, you know, for someone else to come along and say to you, oh, you should get a real job, like no one should be able to do that. And in the same respect, I've stuck up for a, a lot of men when a lot of people say, oh, you skipped leg day, when, some, when a man's not got a well-developed set, set of legs. I go, you can't impose your belief into another man of what his legs should look like in the same sense that we can't construct other people's lives for them. Just because they haven't got a business card at the age of 30 doesn't mean that they're not doing well. Well, so how do you run that balance? Because you obviously have a very clear idea of what works for you, and that's you know part of your success. But you're also in a business that's about helping other people to transform. So how do you run that line between not trying to tell them that they should be a certain way? So I always say that um, throughout the book, there's loads of branches that I'm shaking 
And if I shake the branch, only the people that shouldn't be in it will fall out. Mm. If someone really wants to do what they're doing, because there are people very happy in corporate jobs and they'll ignore those chapters. Mm. And um, we spoke before uh, offline. I said your daughter's vegan. Mm. Now, I've put out vegan content before where people who, for the ethic and correct reasons of being a vegan, will think I'm a bit of a dick. Mm. But some people will be doing it because they think it's trendy. Mm. And some people come back and go, do you know what? I was doing this for the wrong reason. I did do this because I was under the influence. It was going to make my life easier, not harder. Mm. And same with the ketogenic diet. If someone wants to do keto, some people have done really well on it. But when I say it's ridiculous and, you know, you no wonder you lost weight because you gave up bread. Cake, biscuits, chocolate, ice you cream. You gave up most food groups. Yes, you gave up every food you loved, and you wonder why you've lost you've lost ten kilograms. But then the people that love keto will remain and ignore me. But the people that hated keto will fall out the metaphorical branch. So when I say this stuff, there are some people that will go leaving the bar to get a real job. It's the best decision I made. But unfortunately, there'll be another group of people that will go. That's right. I need to. I need to go back and maybe go into a job that I enjoy and I always say to people as well like you never know what's going to happen when you're gallivanting or you know whatever and I actually met my business partner whilst backpacking in Australia I'd never been to Australia before and I came here one way and if I hadn't have done the stupidest thing of leaving my business in the UK with a backpack to travel Australia because I was bored and I didn't bump into my business partner I wouldn't have half of what I have today. Can I ask though, and I know you're only espousing live the way you want to live. You're not trying to tell everyone that they should live like you do. But is there an, is there an element that you you are young, you don't have a family yet in terms of kids and a wife, that's correct, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So not, uh, and those sort of demands or those sort of pressures start to close in on people a little bit around finances and that sort of thing, that the idea of working in a bar, doing a job you love might not, adapt as well once you've got those responsibilities no i completely uh i appreciate that and with this one it was very case specific the girl was in her 20s so uh, i think she's 27 now, right, so. i'm not going to pin you on it no then. no no uh, <laughs> but with that lady that you've got a very strong point here about the people with the family okay. and i want i want to defend myself okay. now, um, <laughs> with that so imagine you are a parent and you know you've got uh responsibilities kids you've got a mortgage you've got um you've got a wife all of those things and that's great but if you have a passion for something at least do do it on the side yeah. and by no means don't quit your job that's going to pay the bills and, and do something that isn't but maybe look into it because whatever you do, there is an avenue for it. And then there's always a way you can transition to maybe even going to part-time work and part-time. Say to your wife, hey, look, I want three months to get a business off the ground. This is what I want to do. I appreciate we've got bills. I'm going to go half-time my work and the rest of the time my passion. Mm-hmm. No one in, you know, in a supportive partner would say against that. Mm-hmm. And my favorite saying is um, from a Tim Ferriss book where he goes, a lot of people say they can't do something, but if you put a gun to their head, they would. And I faced this when I first was personal training in Australia and I was moaning that I didn't have enough clients. And I thought to myself what I would do if someone put a gun to my head. And I realized there were a lot more options to do that than if I, if there was a gun. So I took away the gun and I started doing those things, getting referrals, you know, walking the floor. And I think that the avenue needs to be open. And even if it's fully closed, then maybe take the advice on board, not for yourself, but for the future your upbringing because if you're bringing up kids say you you make the decision I'm too old for this advice there's the saying that men plant trees of which the shade they will never sit in Mm -hmm. 
And I said to the, I said this, I got criticized on this the other day. I said, well, maybe let your kids grow up with an open mind. And if your kid says to you, you know, 10 years ago, your kid says, I want to play video games. You go, nope, you get a proper job or whatever. Kids now are playing video games and making more money than the, sure. the last 10 generations before them. There's never been a world in which we can have crazy ambitions that people can follow and, and make a life from it. So I think that, you know, if you if someone was like a 45 year old, oh, it's all right for you, you're 30, blah, 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 you've got no responsibilities. I'd say, well, take what you can from the book as far as shaken branches and ensure that you don't, you know, shorten the imagination or clamp down the imagination of the kids you bring up to thinking they need to go under fluorescent lights for 40 hours a week for a bid for a five percent pension that's matched by their you know their employer and i do like that you are suggesting though that that idea of what if you've got something you're interested in you should you should do it it doesn't always mean you have to throw your job in or or it just means that if that's what you want to be then be it you you can't be something unless you start doing the, the the things around that correct you know you can't be a um, healthy fit person if you're not doing things that healthy fit people would do it's 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 crazy i've seen so many people that have like little hobbies and uh i remember one girl she used to make these like little kind of photo frames but put letters in them and she could she would make them in her spare time when she finished work and it would have like a greeting or someone's birthday and she'd put them on like facebook marketplace i'll be like how much do you get paid for these and I was like, why don't you do? She's like, oh, I'm working all day. I've only got time to do two in the evenings. I said to her, well, if you were to take a half day, you could make more than what you're doing, doing this, and you can make them all day. And it, to her, she was like, yeah, fair enough. And I was like, but you don't need to spend the whole day doing it. You could have a hobby that you do from 10 to 2 or 3 in the afternoon. You know, I love people. I love that people just do the weirdest things, yeah. <laughs> like make little photo frames and put letters in them yeah. or, uh, you know, like the stamp collectors or, you know, people who have those bizarre hobbies and they just, every weekend, they're just cracking away at it. Like, you know, what about the people who take dogs out and they jump them over things? Yeah. Well, those, I just love it. I love the fact that people are so random. I have one last question for you. Um... You said there was one great piece of advice, the best advice you'd ever had. I know what it is, but do you want to tell people what that is? Yeah, and it was uh, the like my dad would always tell me, like, you're a long time dead. So every time I would go to him, I was, I was actually really nervous to tell him I was going to go to Australia. I'd never been before in my life. I'd been running a PT business for about four years. Everything on paper was great. And I kind of said to my clients in the gym, and I was like, I think I might go to Australia. And my favorite clients, literally been training them every day for a couple of years. They were like, we're going to be sad to see you go, but I think you should go. And I'm stood there with my dad like by the barbecue. My mum was the hardest one to get it by. She, I think they both knew I wouldn't come back. So I might go to us, dad. And he was like, yeah, well, you're a long time dead. Why not? And he was like, let's wait till tomorrow to tell your mum. And he was so supportive. And I think that if he had been a more rational human being, who didn't have a similar kind of mindset or didn't have the mindset I'd grown from. Maybe like, you've done well, you've got your business, you stay here, you buy a house or whatever it was. And if he hadn't have freely let me chase my ambitions, even to the other side of the world, I doubt I'd be sat here doing an interview with you. Now, the thing is, it's I know you wrote this book, but that's not what you said, the greatest piece of advice you'd ever had. You said <laughs> at the, at the very, uh, very last chapter. The best advice I've ever had is uh, whatever, 
What it, yeah. Yeah. Whatever happens. You, you did. Like, you, uh, you spoke before. You're like, I haven't finished the book yet. If you, oh. if you get to the very last page, it was. It was. Whatever happens, you'll be fine. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome advice. Yeah. So there's two things. I might have contradicted myself in the book by putting two things the best advice. But I, I do think that's pretty awesome advice from someone. And the guy you got that advice from was he your client who had gone blind? Uh, so my one of my really good friends, Darren from. Fitness First and George Street. He'll still train there now in Sydney CBD. Um, Fitness First plug. Yeah, I don't, don't, they're absolute wankers. <laughs> um, Not a Fitness First plug. Yeah, that would be book three. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I would chat to him and I can believe that, you know, there was a blind guy training in the gym more than I was. And during his training, I used to chat to him. He's had a bit of an American accent. And uh, during at the time, I just come out of an eight-year relationship and he very much was heading to uh, settle down, get married, have a kid, do very much of what, you know, a lot of people in kind of the Western area of Sydney do quite young uh, compared to other parts of the world. And about two months before his marriage, before his wedding day, he just sat down and was like, I can't do this. There's, you know, there's things I want to do in life and um, sunk cost fallacy was the reason that he hadn't left sooner. And he did the right thing. And I think even a lot of people commended him for being brave enough to do that. He was in a very bad place. I, at the time, uh, just broken up with a girl, friend whose visa I was on. So I love Australia. It's my favorite place. It was the magical place where everything started coming together for me. And within the space of eight days, I had to leave Australia. Uh, So me and him were in a pretty bad place. And Scott, who lost his eyesight with a rare eye disease at 28 years old after being very successful early on in life, he was like, well, no matter what, guys, you'll be fine. And he then said it again in a way, he was like, no matter what happens, you'll be fine. And this is someone who lost their eyesight before they were 30 and has spent the second half of his life without it. He was like, oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's a pretty good way of looking at things. It sounds a bit glib, but I, I, it actually really hit home to me. I think that we worry too much about things, and I think that in the end, if you've got a good attitude, I think whatever happens in the end, you will be fine. It's crazy where um, I know a couple of people who are amputees, and a year after, they're, they're, they're happy, and some of them, they've got... It's almost crazy, and you, we, we tiptoe about it, and I'm not asked what happened. Oh, I was in a car crash. So what's it like? He's like, yeah, it's all right. It's like, it's fine. Always get a seat on the bus or whatever it is. And they crack a joke about it. Whereas, you know, it. I think human beings always take a bit of time to adapt to something. Mm. And again, with lockdown, the restrictions that most of the world are facing, after three months, it's become the normal. Mm. Sat there in a pub going, oh, God, at least we don't have queues for the bar anymore, mm. you know. And oh, what? They they bring a gin and tonic to the table. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> back, back in the day, if you were out in, uh, you know, the CBD or if you were out in Surrey Hills, you'd have to queue 10 minutes to get yeah. a drink. This is, well, now um, you have to queue to get in, but yeah. anyway. Yeah. James, it's been so nice having you on the podcast and great to chat to you. You're um, obviously got uh, a lot of uh, inspiring tips for your clients and I hope people um, buy your book, second book. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back next week with more insights and stories from Australia's happiest people. Until then, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you drop us a rating and a review.